We're continuing in our series of the Songs of the Saints, and we're taking these reflection from various psalms, as you know, and today we're looking at this 126th psalm, and just a, a little bit of background, beginning in Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, we have what are known as the Songs of Ascents, and so the idea is that um, this group of psalms were set aside to be um, to to be sung as as they were making their way ascending up to Jerusalem for the various feasts. They are also referred to as pilgrim songs. And so here, like I said, beginning in Psalm 120, but we're looking at Psalm 126. So these, these would be the songs that were more or less preparing them for that time in Jerusalem at, at the various feasts. And so through these Psalms, you see lots of references to Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. You see references to Jerusalem. You see uh, expressions of, of going up and so forth. And so these are the songs of the ascents. And so here we see right in the, in the very first couple of verses, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. And so that's the expression. The Lord, uh, having done these great things and they're, they're reflecting upon those things. And so we're gonna be looking at that today. We wanna take this Psalm and apply it to the current moment. But let me read to you a quote from Eugene Peterson. He has a little devotional through the Psalms and he said this about this, uh, these first couple of verses here, uh, the first three verses in, the, in this uh, Psalm 126. He said, every regathering in Jerusalem, the great homecomings that were the feast, recalled the mighty restorations that God had effected in Israel out of Egyptian bondage, out of Babylonian exile. The acts of restoration were impossible miracles. There was no way they could have happened. We were like those who dream, and yet they did happen. The laughter, the shouts of joy, and the hymns were present evidence. So, so all of these things were um, the, the present evidence, as uh, Peterson says, of the fact that God had done these miraculous things. He, he delivered them from the bondage in Egypt. He uh, delivered them from the captivity in Babylon. And so these are the things that they would think on and, and praise the Lord for as they would go up to the various feasts. So what the Psalm here, um, the way I want to look at it is we want to see here that the psalmist is describing uh, what we long for or what we dream of. And that's, I've given the title uh, today, uh, Like Those Who Dream. 
And, you know, as, as God's people, we, we can legitimately have dreams for the church, for our lives as God's people, for our lives personally as God's servants, for the church collectively. We, we can dream and we can dream big about the things that God might want to do because of the things God has already done. And so we look back and we think of uh, the great things that God has done in history, the history of Israel, like we're talking about here, or the history of the church, uh, the many, many times where God has done extraordinary things. Uh, and and we, can, we can today, and I think we should today, dream about those things. So we want to look at... Um, Three things here. We want to look at our, our longing or dreaming. Secondly, we want to uh, look at our posture. And then thirdly, we want to look at our hope. But let, again, let me just touch a little bit on the idea of dreaming. So, so what is it that we would dream about? And, I, and I'm talking about um, us collectively right now. Think, think about us as a, a congregation. Think about... Um, the church in this present moment, what is it that we would love to see the Lord do? That's really the, the question here. So um, I think that we would all agree with this. We dream about a fresh work of the Holy Spirit. Don't we? We, we dream about that. We think, oh Lord, how amazing it would be for a fresh outpouring of your spirit. Uh, we we dream about seeing things we might have thought impossible. And those, the, that's kind of what, you know, dreams are like, right? You're, you're like, you know, sometimes you, you might even be expressing some desire, some wish, and people go, oh, you're dreaming, you know, come on. That's, the idea is that's never going to happen. Um, but of course, with the Lord, it can happen. It, it, can be a possibility. So we're dreaming about things that, that might have seemed impossible, like a multitude of souls being brought into the kingdom. This is something that I, I dream about a lot. Lord, to just see a great work of your spirit. You know, having uh, experienced that myself and been a, a part of that over the years, having read much on the history of revival and things like that, you know, you, you know what's possible and because of what God's done in the past. And so you dream about that, dreaming about the, the multitude of souls being brought in, a great work of God among the younger generation. Boy, that's a dream of mine. A great work of God among the younger generation. Just, uh, I just so long to see God work in the lives of young people, and not, not to the exclusion of middle-aged people or old people. But you know, the youth are the future. They, they, they are the future generations. And living in the time that we're living in, we know, especially in our culture, there's so much confusion. And there's so much heartache and pain and emptiness and all of that among so many young people. Um, you know, I was recently on the East Coast. I was just in Philadelphia, as some of you might know. And I had the chance to connect with a, a fair number of young people. You know, the, these kids were anywhere from 14 years old to 19 years old. 
and you know, to hear their stories and to see what's happening in their lives. And not all of them were Christians. A few of them had become Christians. Some of them were uh, from a Muslim background. Uh, basically, they were you know, pretty much just you know, secular in the sense that they just were living according to what the world was telling them. But you know, my point is, as I was with these kids, I just think, Lord, for you to grab hold of this generation... And for you to do a work, and I, I was talking to these kids and I was saying to the, you know, the few of them that were the believers, I say, you know, God could set the city of Philadelphia on fire through you guys. He could do it as, as you commit yourself to him. So, so that's something that I would dream about. But also dreaming about what the church um, could be in our day. The church being seen by the surrounding community as something beautiful. We need to recapture a vision for that, that the church would be seen as, as something beautiful, but also something mysterious. I think in the mind of so many people today, um, there's no mystery about the church. They feel, feel like they've already got it figured out. And in our cultural context, a lot of people would say, well, yeah, we know about the church, about the Christians. You know, they're all... Uh, uh, they're all Republicans, you know, they all voted for Trump, you know, th this kind of thing. I mean, seriously, that's what a lot of people think about Christians today. And that's unfortunate. That is not what uh, should come to mind when people think about the church. They should think about, you know, it's something mysterious. It's something that we can't quite put our finger on because it doesn't fit into this category or that category. And, you know, that's kind of the way we tend to uh, do things today, right? People are either on the right or they're on the left or they're, you know, conservative or they're progressive or whatever, you know, we, we have these categories. But, but the church should have this mystery about it where people are like, you know, I don't really know how to figure these people out, but there's something beautiful about what I'm seeing. And so that would be a dream, that's a, that's a dream that I have, that we would see that, that the church would be seen as something beneficial, that the church would be seen not as this isolated community that just keeps to itself and, um, you know, never engages, but that the church would be seen as, man, no, these people are vital to our community. They're beneficial. All the things that they do, like if the church wasn't there, so many important things that are done in our community would, would cease to be done. And that's uh, dreaming about how the church might have that kind of testimony in the community. And then that the church would be seen as something essential. You know, that's been a big debate during the COVID time, right? What is essential? What is non-essential? And, and of course, the church is essential. But some people would think, well, why? What, what does that have to do with anything? But um, my point is that that would switch and people would say, no, we need that church in our community. And they've got resources and a perspective and, and they have things that, that we absolutely need. That is true. But again, dreaming that people would see it. So, so let's, just, um, let's just walk through these three things uh, looking at our, our longing, our posture, and our hope here as we look at this 126th Psalm. But let me, let me just read through um, the 
first three verses again. So when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter. Our tongue was singing. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Let's look at verse four. Bring back our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. So leave it at that. We'll come back to verses five and six in a moment. So um, our longing, our dreaming, that our mouth would be filled with laughter and our tongue with singing, man, that we would just have a time of overflowing joy because of the presence of the Lord and because of what he's doing. And that's what's being described in the psalm, right? When the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. Remember, the people were in captivity in Babylon. And in that captivity, everything ceased. All the life in Jerusalem and all the worship and all of those things, you know, the, the light that they were to the nations, that was all uh, put out for that season. But then when the Lord brought them back from the captivity, it was like, wow, they couldn't even believe it. And this filled their hearts with joy. And, and I think of the church, that God would do something fresh in our day that we would just say, wow, I, man, we are, we're like those who dream. This is, this is better than we could have ever dreamed, we could have ever imagined. And that would cause us to be overflowing with the joy of the Lord, with that tongue that is just you know, filled with praise and singing out to him. So that would be our experience. But then notice um, there's the testimony of those outside they say the Lord has done great things for them. So they say, those people looking on, they say, man, what's happening over there? That, that, there's something going on there. Wow, it seems like God is really with those people. And, and man, that's what we long for, right? That we would have that kind of testimony uh, in the community, that people would actually look in from the outside and they would say, wow, the Lord has done great things. And people would look at your life and people would look at my life and people would hear our story and they say, wow, the Lord has done great things for you. And so the outside testimony, but then there's also the inside testimony. The testimony of those inside is the Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us. And you know, when God does great things for us, we really can't um, contain the, the blessing, the excitement. You know, when God does something great for you, you just kind of got to talk about it. And so that would be uh, amongst us as we are the people of God together. We're just talking about, man, God is doing this and the Lord did that. And, you know, I was praying and this is what God spoke. And, you know, I was sick and God healed me and all these kinds of things. And we would have that, just that deep sense that, man, God is with us. He's present with us. So, so that's the longing part. That's the dreaming part. Now, secondly, we look at our posture. And so we see that in verses five or verse five and, and part of six as well. So those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who continually goes forth weeping, 
bearing seed for sowing. So this is the picture. Um, sowing. Sowing, of course, is planting, right? And Jesus gives us that beautiful picture in the parable of the sower. We commonly call it the parable of the sower, where a sower goes forth and he's scattering seed. Jesus tells us in the interpretation, he says, um, the seed is the word of God. And so God's word, uh, the truth about God, the life of God, this is what is being sown. But I want you to catch a couple of things here. Notice it says, they who continually go forth sowing. So, so the picture here is, and I'm talking here about our posture. So we've got our dreams, we've got our desires, we've got our longings. And now here's what we do as in a sense, we, we wait for that. This is what we do. We sow and it says continually, we sow the gospel and continually gives us the idea of patiently. We keep at it. We keep doing it. We don't stop. We don't get discouraged. We don't say, you know, gosh, I've been sowing for so long and I don't see any, uh, any harvest on the horizon. I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm done. I'm worn out. I'm tired. Remember, Jesus said that uh, people should always pray and not lose heart. And Paul reminded us in his letter to the Galatians that we will reap um, if we do not lose heart. So he encourages us to keep on, um, do good to, uh, do good to those among you, especially to those who are the house who are the household of faith. For uh, in due season we will reap if we do not faint or if we do not lose heart. So you see, this is the idea. There's a consistency. There's a faithfulness. We keep on sowing. And what are we sowing? We're sowing the gospel. We're sowing the truth about Christ and who he is and about his wonderful news and about his kingdom. And we sow that through our lives, our deeds, and our words. That, that's how we're sowing. It's a continual thing. It's a consistent thing. Like I said, um, you know, we're, not only are we living in the instant society, right, where we want everything really instantly, um, you know, if our, uh, you know, I, I have a computer on my desk that's a little bit older and it's a, it's a little slow, now it's light years faster than what computers were, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. But in comparison to um, the kind of speed that you can get now, the kind of internet speed, it's kind of slow. So sometimes, you know, I'll open up a program and it just seems to be taking, you know, it might be taking uh, eight seconds instead of four seconds or something like that. So, you know, we're just, we are just geared toward everything happening quickly, everything being done instantly. And we bring that mindset into the church. And so we think that, uh, you know, everything's got to happen instantly. Hey, I shared the gospel with that person. I prayed for that person. Um, you know, I, di I did that deed and that was going to be the thing that was going to really impact them. But I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere and I'm just going to give up. 
No, that's not the posture. We must continue to sow the seed. And as I said, we sow it through our lives. We must continue to live faithful lives before people. Living the life of fellowship with Christ, being more and more made like him and just living that out in your life as a husband, as a wife, as a parent, as a child, as a a school teacher, as a mechanic, as a gardener, as, you know, whatever, Uh, go on and on and on. But you're living out your Christian faith. You're living your life for Jesus and you're doing that faithfully you're doing that consistently. And then there's deeds. You know, there's a difference between deeds and just living out your life. Deeds would be things that we would do as the opportunity arises. And so good things that we would, um, you know, as, as much as you have the opportunity, do good to all people. So there's opportunities that come along for us individually as believers and for us collectively as a church and so we can, we can sow the seed of the gospel through, through our deeds. You know, many of you would know that we have been, for some time now, we've been partnering um, with a couple of different groups to feed people in our community. And we've been having um, the Saturdays where we just set up in our parking lot and people come through and, you know, we've got anywhere from you know, five, 600 families that come through to sometimes 1,200 families that come through. And through these different organizations, we've got access to all of this food and people come in and we're just able to bless them and give them food for the week or whatever, give food for their, you know, family members and um, pray for them if they'd like to be prayed for. In some cases, they want to hear a little bit about the gospel. In some cases, we've been able to Uh, see people come to faith. But, you know, I'm just trying to give an example of, of, you know, deeds. Um, We're doing that collectively. We want to do that. We want to be a blessing to our uh, community. And so we do that faithfully. We do that consistently. And then, of course, our words. And this is where we're, you know, we're speaking uh, the gospel. We're, We're actually verbally sharing the gospel as those opportunities arise. We're looking for those moments where, as the scripture says, our speech um, is to always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you might know how to give an answer to everyone. That's a passage in Colossians. We studied Colossians a while back. So, but that's the idea. And the point here is we're sowing and we're sowing continually. We're casting forth that seed through our lives, through our deeds, through our words. Now, I want to tell you a quick story. So last, um, well, just recently I was uh, studying and um, one of our professors, he was a guest lecturer and uh, some of you might know his name. His name is David Brooks. David Brooks is a very well-known author and he's very well-known New York Times uh, columnist. And so we were in this class. It was a class on culture. David was one of our uh, visiting professors. And, you know, he was talking to us about a number of things. But in the course of his lecture, uh, he began to share his story. Now, I think, I think most everybody probably wondered, where, where is this guy spiritually? Um, 
is he a believer? Is he not a believer? So David Brooks' background is he's born and raised in a Jewish family, um, but for probably a long time, he would have identified at least as an agnostic, if not as an atheist. But then over some years, it it seemed more and more like there's a faith there. So there's a question mark in everybody's mind. So somehow in the course of the class that that came up and he began to tell us his story. So basically, yes, indeed, he has come to faith in Christ. He said he'd come to faith about seven or eight years ago. And so then how did that happen? That was the uh, natural question that we asked after that. And you know, it was really interesting what he said. He said, well, you know, it wasn't through, it wasn't so much through like apologetics. It wasn't like somebody gave me a book and, and I read it and I said, oh my goodness, that's, that's all the truth. And he even made kind of a joke. He said he had about 300 copies of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis that had been given to him over the long years. That's a great book. I love that book. Uh, and he read it and he enjoyed it but, it, but it wasn't the thing that really moved him. And then he told us what it was that moved him. This is what brought him to faith. He said there was a beauty in the lives of Christians that he knew. There was something beautiful. And as I was saying earlier, there was something beautiful and there was something mysterious. And there was something that, that he saw that he had a longing and, and these people seemed to have that thing he was looking for. So it was Christians. It was their lives were... Uh, what sowed the gospel into David Brooks to bring him to that place of receiving Jesus himself. And you know, when I heard that, there was just something in my own mind. I thought, you know, that, that really is, um, that is so important. And I, I must say at this time, I think it's, uh, you know, it's extremely important. And, um, you know, here we are on this particular weekend as I'm preaching, uh, the outcome of the election, at least as of right this moment, is still hanging in the balance. I know a lot of Christians are distressed over uh, the fact that maybe, you know, their candidate, which oftentimes would be uh, Donald Trump, you know, maybe he's, he's lost and that means um, that religious freedom is going to be jeopardized and that means that maybe there's going to be hard times for the church and, and so forth. That's People, people are thinking that. Um, and, you know, we're going to lose that place of uh, prominence in the culture. And, you know, let me just say this. The church has always been at its best when it's been weak. When, and weak in the sense of um, in relation to, to secular power. You see, whenever the church has had power because it's been... Uh, close to the power base in whatever way you get there, uh, the church has always compromised with that power. The church has always abused that power. There's no time in history where the church didn't gain some sort of power in society and then uh, abuse that power. That's just the way it goes. And, um, but quite often, when the church has been its most impactful, when the church has had its greatest effect, 
has been when it was weak, when it wasn't connected to political power, when it wasn't connected to state power, when it was just the individual Christians living out their lives and the body of Christ collectively living out the the truth of the gospel in the context of everyday life. You know, I was telling my son today because we were talking about that and I was telling him about, you know, uh, people that we know who have zero power. They have smaller churches. They don't have any... uh, you know, they don't have anything to offer anybody in power, so they're not sought out by anybody. Um, but as they live out the gospel in their communities, guess what happens? Uh, community leaders start looking to them for help. They, they realize, you know, these, these people have something. You know, this, this, uh, this person's a servant. And the point that I was making as I was talking to my son, Char, was that, you know, there are lots of places where uh, Christians would say, hey, you know, as a Christian, we can never go there. We can't get into public schools. We can't do this. You know, secularism's got it all uh, wrapped up and we're locked out. And my point was, you know, I know lots of guys that are, man, they're right in the thick of where everybody would love to be. And they didn't get there through power. They got there through weakness and through um, vulnerability and through dependency on Christ. And so he opened the door. So I just, I'm, I'm saying this obviously in relation, I don't even know what the outcome of the election is going to be, but whatever it is, it doesn't change uh, anything. We are the people of God. We are the church of God. And God can and will work among us regardless of what party is in power. Those are things that we just have to say, okay, Lord, that's, if that's what you want to do right now, then let's go. And, you know, guide us now in, in this new season, if that's indeed what it's going to be. So our posture, continually sowing the gospel through our lives, deeds, and words. Now, that brings us to the next thing. And... There's that sowing through life, deeds, and words. But notice also, um, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Uh, They who continually go forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing. So what is this about, this weeping, bearing seed? Well, the picture here, I think, the best way to understand this is this is talking about prayer. So in, in... a harvest being um, reaped ultimately, these are the things that make for that. As we've already said, continually sowing the gospel. That's one. Secondly, prayer. And so this picture of the, of the person going forth with this, this bag of precious seeds and they're spreading them, but they're weeping as they go. It's a picture of us, the people of God, as we're sowing the gospel into the world, we're sowing it, with heavy hearts in that sense that, God, the world is lost. Lord, people need you. Oh, God, please do a work. Looking at the wreckage, looking at uh, people's lives who are devastated from sin. And, oh, Lord, you've got to move. And I think that's really the picture here. That's what's being spoken of. So, so it's that combination of continually Uh, patiently, faithfully living out the gospel and that's coupled with prayer. And, you know, when you have that combination of things, 
then you are uh, setting up for a great harvest. And that brings us to our third and our final point, our hope. So our, our longing or our dreams, our posture as we wait to see those dreams fulfilled, our hope is now in the final verse. Um, and look, look what it says. Again, let me read from verse five. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. They who continually go forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, here it is, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing their sheaves with them. Wow. See, that's a promise of harvest. That, that's, you know, the sheaf, of course, would be the bundle of grain that was harvested. And so it's a picture of a plentiful harvest. And there's a promise here, basically. The promise is those who sow in this way, those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Those who go forth uh, bearing that precious seed, continually uh, scattering that seed through life, through your deeds, through your words, and praying along the way, the, the promise is uh, there will be a harvest and it will be an abundant harvest. And so let's maintain our posture of faithful witness and prayer. Let, let's, not, let, let's not be moved. Um, let's not be rattled by the shifting sands of national politics, uh, not distressed over the social unrest, not fearful of the uh, prognostications concerning the pandemic, uh, but rather trusting that the Lord is at work in all these things to soften hearts and to turn people to himself. You know, all of these things, of course, are concerning. The political situation is concerning. Social unrest is concerning. Uh, the pandemic is concerning. But the Christian is not to be consumed by these things. We're not to be overwhelmed by these things. We're not to be uh, neutralized by these things. We're, we're to keep pressing forward in faith, knowing that it's these very things that God is using to soften the soil so the seed can take root, so the, you know, the, the plant can grow and the harvest can come. And we cannot lose sight of that. So if we maintain our hope and don't lose heart, I believe, and this is my own personal conviction, I believe that one day we'll look back with joyful laughter as we rehearse the stories of all the good things that God did in the year 2020 and beyond. I mean, isn't, you know, 2020, right? It's like, uh, how many more things can, can happen in 2020? How many more things could go wrong? How many more, you know, crazy things uh, could happen? And, and obviously there's a lot of reason for us to think like that, but I'm saying let's, let's rise above that thinking and recognize that, no, God's actually at work. Because as we said many times before, as long as there's smooth sailing, nobody's calling on the Lord. You know, when, when, you're, when the sailing is smooth, you're, it's fine. You're cruising. It's, it's okay. Yeah, we're going to make it to the other side. But it's only when the storm hits 
that suddenly, Lord, help us, Lord, save us. I mean, you know, obviously I'm, I'm drawing from the situation with the apostles on the Sea of Galilee, remember? There they are in the boat, everything's fine. They're cruising, there's no problems. They're all seasoned fishermen, they, they know. And, and then a storm comes upon the lake and they are panicking. They're crying out, Lord, save us. And Jesus does. He calms the storm. And so 2020 has been a year of storms. But 2020 has also been a year of people looking beyond themselves, looking beyond the system, looking beyond the answers that the world has, realizing how shallow they are, and looking to something uh, higher than that, greater than that. And that's where, of course, our continual faithful sowing through our lives, our deeds, and our words, and our prayer, that's where all of that will come to fruition as we see that harvest. So with that, let's, let's dream. Let's dream about what God can do. And let's put ourselves in that place where we say, Lord, man, fulfill those dreams. Lord, we would love to see you do something amazing in our day. So Lord, we thank you that we um, have been saved by you, Lord, that you took us. And for many, you pulled us out of uh, desperate situations. You pulled us out of despair and distress. And Lord, for many of us, we can even think back to our own experience, how when life was easy, when things were going well, uh, we were on our own, we were just doing fine. But it took the, that storm, it took that crisis to wake us up. And Lord, help us to realize that people outside and, and around us, they're no different. That they have those same things that they're secure in and they're also vulnerable when those things are um, taken away or they're, or they're shaken or whatever. So Lord, help us. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we uh, grumble and complain, for the times that we take our eyes off you, for the times when we put our hope in men and in systems and in politics. Forgive us for all of that. And Lord, would you help us in these days to fix our eyes on Jesus, to have, uh, Lord, faith and a vision to see the kingdom expanded in our generation and in this year and beyond. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen.